Hi, this is Pastor Matt, and I want to welcome you to our Blue Oaks Church podcast. At the end of this episode, feel free to download our Blue Oaks Church app, where you'll be able to access resources, events, and ways to get connected at Blue Oaks and in the community. The app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around Blue Oaks. Most importantly, though, I just hope that you enjoy this episode and it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. All right, this message is for you if you've ever been dissatisfied with your prayer life, if you ever feel guilty about not praying enough, if you ever feel confused about how prayer works or even if prayer works. So just to be real clear, this is who I am not talking to. If prayer comes easily to you, Uh, If your mind never wanders while you pray, uh, if you're never troubled by unanswered prayer, if when someone cuts you off on the freeway, your reflexive response is to pray a prayer of blessing on them, if when you win $10 million uh, playing the lottery, your first response is to pray, God, thank you, and forgive me for playing the lottery, and help me to tithe to my church. I mean, if you are a prayer Jedi warrior, this message is not for you. This is for the rest of us because it's a strange truth about us. To be human is to pray. To be human is to pray. In moments of great joy, in moments of great need, great sadness, great guilt, great fear, we speak to someone beyond ourselves. We can't help it. To be human is to pray. And yet we wonder, Is it complicated? Are there rules? Am I doing it right? Now, in the middle of the greatest sermon ever delivered, Jesus gives us the greatest prayer ever prayed. He starts with a couple warnings, so we'll look at the warnings first. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. You know, even prayer can be one of those things where when people get good at it, uh, they can start doing it to show off. I suppose pastors are especially guilty of this. You know, sometimes when I'm with a group of people and someone else is praying, instead of really listening to their prayer so that I'm actually praying with them, I'll be thinking about what I'm going to pray when it's my turn. You know, will I sound sincere? Will, will it be appropriate uh, for the situation? Will it, will it sound su- stupid or foolish or, or uh, unspiritual? I mean, that's what I'll be thinking. And I don't want to be thinking those thoughts. They're just in me when I'm supposed to be praying. And so Jesus gives an alternative strategy in verse 6. But when you pray... Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Uh, Jesus is addressing one of the great barriers most of us face with prayer, and that is God is unseen. God sees what is done in secret, what is unseen. Uh, Prayer is based on the reality of the unseen. But we've been conditioned in our day, in our culture, to believe only that what is seen or can be touched is what's real. Again, this gets us deep into the Sermon on the Mount because what is most real is God and his kingdom. I mean, the most important part of you is unseen. 
The reason you're watching or listening today is because you made a decision to do that. Uh, No one has ever seen a decision. I mean, they might see like neurons, but, but not a decision. Your thoughts, your desires, your choices are all unseen. I mean, your body, your the neurons in your brain, the, your eyes and arms and legs, that which is seen uh, responds to what is unseen. What is unseen is the most important thing about you. And it's there that you are able to be still and you meet with God who is unseen. And prayer is hard for some people, for me, uh, because they think, I think, if I'm not moving and achieving visible progress, nothing is happening. You know, prayer often feels to us like uh, we're just sitting still, like doing nothing. Nothing is happening. Sometimes you pray and you don't get what you want. It feels like you're just sitting still, doing nothing, and things are never going to change. You see, that's the barrier. And Jesus knows this about us. So he starts this part of the Sermon on the Mount by giving these warnings about prayer. And then he gives one of his best gifts to us, the greatest prayer that has ever been prayed. Of all the prayers human beings have ever prayed, I mean, this is the best and most repeated prayer of all time. And you need to understand that getting advice from Jesus on how to pray is like getting advice from Warren Buffett on how to invest your money. I mean, why wouldn't you take that? So starting today at Blue Oaks Church, class is in session, and we're going to learn from Jesus how to pray. For the next several weeks, we're going to learn from the master when it comes to prayer. So today, in the time that we have left, I want to look at just uh, the basics from the master. Uh, We'll get to more advanced stuff as we go on, but today I want to look at just the basics, just the beginning intro stuff from Jesus. Now, I started today by saying this message is for those of us who have been dissatisfied with our prayer life or have ever felt guilty about not praying enough. Uh, This message is for those of us who have problems when it comes to prayer. And so we're going to address three problems today. Uh, Number one, the who problem. You know, we get confused about the nature of the person to whom we're praying. Uh, People think about God being angry with them or disappointed in them. Uh, This who problem can keep us from mastering prayer. Uh, Number two is the where problem. Where is God located? Often people think of God as being like very far away. They think about prayer as something that uh, they have to do to try to get his attention because he's distant. The where problem can keep us from prayer. And number three is the what problem. Uh, We're not always sure what we ought to pray about when we actually do get around to praying. Uh, We're not sure what uh, God might be interested in or what uh, what good it does to ask. These are uh, basic problems, the who problem, the where problem, and the what problem. And so today, we're going to look at what Jesus has to say about these three problems, who prayer addresses, where he is, and what we should pray about. So first of all, who do we pray to? Jesus begins this prayer with the words, our Father. Now, this is a very important part of the prayer, and I'll tell you why. Uh, Some people find that their mind wanders during prayer. Uh, I've talked before about a condition we call mindlessness. Uh, Do you ever experience mindlessness? Uh, Where you are physically present, but your mind is kind of floating somewhere on autopilot? 
Have you ever been reading and you get to the bottom of the page and you realize you have no idea what it is you just read? That's mindlessness. Have you ever been listening to someone teach and you realize you have no idea what was just said? Did you miss the question? <laughs> mindlessness is, in fact, one of the biggest obstacles to prayer. I think that's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, 7, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Vain repetition, just babbling on and on. That's mindless prayer. You know, sometimes prayer can deteriorate into just worry. Do you ever have that happen? I mean, I do this sometimes. I start praying and pretty soon I'm just thinking to myself and then I'm just worrying. Uh, It becomes a, a silent monologue and not a conversation. Well, at the very beginning of prayer, I need to stop a hurried mind and focus on the fact that I really am speaking to someone. I really am. Jesus says, begin by saying, our Father. Now, this is the most unique opening line in the history of prayer, our Father. When you use a name, uh, you make a statement about the nature of the relationship you have with another person. That's why names are so powerful. A name expresses the relationship you have. You acknowledge a relational context. You state how much closeness exists. In a fairly formal relationship, you say Mr. or Mrs. If it's a friend, you call them by their first name. If it's a real close friend, you might have a nickname. If it's a family member, uh, there might be a pet name. Uh, That expresses the fact that this is a uniquely close relationship. You know, I only have three people on this earth who call me dad. And that single word gets my attention quicker than any other. Uh, If I answer the phone and I hear that word first, dad, I mean, that establishes a context between me and the one who's speaking to me that is stronger than anything in this world. And everything else they say, any request they make, any confession they have to make, anything else they say takes place within the context of the relationship that that is expressed by that one word, dad. Now, There were records in the Old Testament of people using the image of a father to describe God. Uh, That had happened before. But there is no record of anyone ever coming to God in prayer and addressing him as father until Jesus did. And Jesus not only does this, he invites you and me to do it too. So when you pray, you put everything else aside You put aside a hurried mind. You remember that you are not just sitting there thinking or worrying. You are uh, beginning with the words, our Father. You know, I know so many people who, when they pray, their first thoughts are, uh, you know, I haven't prayed enough. I feel guilty over my prayerlessness or my life. Uh, I'm not sure this will do any good. Uh, I'm not sure I have enough time to do it adequately or uh, know how to do it right. I just want to tell you this, those thoughts are from the evil one. I mean, those thoughts are designed to keep you from prayer and you must discipline yourself to not allow them to occupy your mind. You must set them aside and start with the name Father. When you say that, this is God's heart as you come to him in prayer. God's heart says, this is my son, this is my daughter, I love it when you call me Father. I love it when you set aside time to speak with me about whatever is on your heart. 
Maybe what we have to say to each other will involve sorrow. Maybe it'll, uh, it'll be all about joy. Uh, maybe you'll want to express thanks. Maybe you'll need to confess. It doesn't really matter. Once we're face to face, we'll get around to everything we need to. I'll make sure about that. But I love these moments when you come to me in prayer. I mean, Jesus, the master of prayer says, start with these words, our father, because that's the who of prayer. I'm reminded of a story about a soldier uh, who just came back from war. While he was on the battlefield, he was writing letters to the president, uh, trying to give the president a picture of what was happening on the battlefield. And when he was discharged, he went to Pennsylvania Avenue without an appointment and he tried to meet with the president. Uh, He was obviously turned away. Uh, In his uniform, he went out and he sat on a park bench feeling dejected. Then a nine-year-old boy walked by and saw him sitting there in his uniform. He went up to him and said, hi, soldier. And this soldier began to interact with this boy for a while. And the boy said, what are you doing? You look sad. And the soldier, for some strange reason, began to have a conversation with this nine-year-old boy saying, well, I've been writing to the president, but, you know, he won't meet with me. And the nine-year-old boy said, well, come with me. And this nine-year-old walked up to the White House security checkpoint, waved at the security guard, and continued on with the soldier. The soldier followed this nine-year-old boy thinking, who is this kid? They walked into the White House, and the kid said, hey, dad, there's a soldier who's been trying to get a hold of you, but you're not returning his letters. He wants to meet with you. And President Lincoln said, well, who is it, Todd? Todd Lincoln said, it's this soldier. And the soldier looked right at President Lincoln and said, thanks for meeting with me, sir. You see, the Apostle Paul understood it this way when he said in Ephesians 2.18, for through him, through Jesus, we have access to the Father. You and I, we have access to the Father. That's who we're praying to. All right, we'll talk about the where problem and the what problem in just a moment. Isn't it amazing that you have instant, direct access to God through prayer? I love what Matt said, that when you call him father, he responds with, my son or my daughter. Prayer is where the foundation of that relationship is built. Just as your relationships with friends and family grow and deepen as you spend time together, time interacting with God through prayer deepens your relationship with him. Looking through the New Testament, you find that Jesus' life was marked by continual prayer. Before every significant event in his life, he could be found praying. Author John Mark Comer calls prayer one of Jesus' life rhythms or habits. Today, we refer to prayer as one of the spiritual practices or ways you open yourself to a power far greater than yourself— God's spirit within you. Prayer is the most central of the practices because it guides you into communion, connection, and closeness with God. Maybe you've never prayed, or prayer is a few quick words before eating. The idea of praying regularly might be completely new to you. Well, over the next six weeks, we're gonna look at how Jesus taught us to pray. And here's my challenge to you. Would you take five minutes each day for the next six weeks and simply ask God to teach you how to pray? 
Maybe each week you add another part of the prayer Jesus teaches and give God a few moments to respond to you. I believe God will honor that simple prayer and begin to draw you closer to him through the practice of prayer. Well, let's rejoin Matt and continue looking at Jesus' introduction to this prayer. All right, the next line in the Lord's Prayer is about where is God? Our Father in heaven. Now, let me ask you a question. How far away is heaven? Like farther than the moon? How many miles is heaven from where you are? Like farther than the Rocky Mountains? About the same distance? And we have this problem, and that is we tend to think of heaven as someplace way out there in outer space. And as a result of this kind of thinking, God becomes remote, uh, distant, hard to access. Therefore, we feel as if we're alone much of the time. And we'll express that in odd ways. You know, people will sometimes say uh, at the beginning of a worship service, God, today, as we come into your presence, and I imagine God saying, where do you think you've been? He says, lo, I am with you always, Jesus said, like to the end of the earth. There is no limit to that. A counselor was meeting with a woman who had a flying phobia. She didn't like flying on planes. Uh, she was a Christian, and so this counselor tried to encourage her by saying, you know, from a spiritual point of view, Jesus did say, I am with you always. And she said, no, he didn't. Jesus said, lo, I am with you always. <laughs> it wasn't L-O-W. Uh, I am with you always has no limits. I want to take just a moment to explain to you a piece of grammar in this part of the prayer uh, where it says, our Father who is in heaven. Uh, the Greek word for heaven is uh, Uranus. Uh, we get the word for our planet Uranus from, from that word. Uh, but here in the Lord's Prayer, it's actually in the plural form. Uh, literally, the prayer goes, our Father, the one in the heavens. Now, the heavens in the New Testament is used in a variety of ways. Uh, it's used as the atmosphere. Uh, it's used for uh, the sky that we look at. It's also used for the air that we breathe. It's, it's that close. And sometimes we talk about something that appears out of thin air, like, it, it, like it's right at hand. I believe this is the sense in which Jesus intends uh, with this word in his prayer. When we say our father who is in the heavens, we're not saying our father uh, from a, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. We're saying our father who is all around us, our father who is closer than the air we breathe, our father who is right here, right now. And because God is so close, we're never alone. And because God is so close, anything we see anything we experience can be a reminder that we can speak to the Father who is right here. You know, if you struggle with prayer, I have a suggestion for you. Sometime this week, instead of uh, whatever you normally do for prayer, just take a half an hour and go do what you love to do and invite Jesus to go with you. Like go for a hike, go for a bike ride, read a book, bake something. And when you're doing something you love, it's a lot easier to talk to God while you're doing it. I mean, it could be simply, Jesus, look at that view. Like, look at the water. And of course, he's already looking at it, so it's nothing new to him. I mean, he's walked on the water, uh, he, so he's very familiar with it. Uh, one simple thing that we can do in prayer is just 
look at what God has done. I mean, just notice the beauty around you as you go about your day. God makes beautiful things. Just take a few moments in a day and just look at the beauty around you and say, God, what a wonderful God you are. How great you are that you make beautiful things out of us and all around us. Because that's our father who is all around us. He's closer than the air we breathe. So that's the where issue. Where is he? He's right here, right now, closer than the air we breathe. And then there's the what issue. What should we pray for? Now, I just want to be real clear. There is no concern of yours. There is no uh, issue, no matter how small, that God does not care about. There is no request you have, no matter how silly or trivial it may seem to you, that God does not want to hear. He wants you to pray about everything. He's concerned about everything. And we'll look at that more as we work through the Lord's Prayer, especially when we look at the request for our daily bread. But what I want to I note is, uh, at this point, is the very first request that's included in this prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Uh, these are the words. Hallowed be your name. Let me talk about this a little bit. Uh, a name in the Bible is never just a label for someone. Uh, a name is always a reflection of the person that it expresses. It's a, a reflection of their character and their identity. And Jesus says, hallowed. Hallowed be your name. Now, we don't use this word much in our day, but it means to attach appropriate value to something, to give it the honor that it deserves, to recognize its worth. I remember reading a story a while back about attaching value to something. It was an antiques expert in San Francisco, and he was mostly in this antique store that was filled with junk. Except he noticed a cat on the floor drinking milk out of a saucer, which he recognized as a saucer from the Ming, Dyn Ming Dynasty in China that was worth a fortune. And he thought this is the opportunity of a lifetime to get a hold of this prized piece because this owner obviously doesn't realize what he's got here. And so he went to the owner and he said, you know, that's quite a remarkable cat you have. I'll give you $100 for the cat. And the owner said, well, you know, the cat really isn't worth anything and, you know, we're kind of attached to it. And the guy said, I'll give you $500 for it. And the owner said, all right. And then the man said, I'll need something to feed him out of, so I'll give you another 10 bucks for that saucer. And the owner said, oh, I could never do that. I mean, that's actually from the Ming Dynasty in China that's worth a fortune. But it's the strangest thing. Ever since I started putting milk in it, I've sold 17 cats. <laughs> Like all of us, especially in like financial terms, are used to attaching value to things. And sometimes we'll see something of great worth, but appropriate value hasn't been attached to it. Uh, people don't seem to recognize what it's worth. And this is supremely true of God. And it was a sad thing to Jesus, and it is to his followers still. The name of God, his, his person and character and heart and intentions is not seen for anywhere near its worth. We live in a world where uh, his name gets blasphemed and profaned, spoken casually at best millions of times every day all around the globe. And so Jesus says, make the first request in your prayer, hallowed be your name. In other words, may the indescribable goodness of your person become so clear 
that you are regarded with affection and love. That's what it means to hallow God's name. May the indescribable goodness of your person become so clear that you are regarded with affection and love. May people realize how worthy you are, God. Hallowed be your name. First by me. First I must pray. Our Father who is all around me, hallowed be your name in my life, in my heart. You know, because one of the great mysteries of God is he has allowed the holiness of his name on this earth to be bound up with the character and conduct of his people, you and me. We are a reflection of the character of God in the eyes of the watching world. Uh, To pray, hallowed be your name, and really mean it, not just to kind of recite the words, is to say, all right, God, I hereby give up sin as best I can. I'm ready to give up sin the best I can with your help. It's to say, I will live each moment of my day in such a way, God, that you'll be able to sign your name to my day. And the truth is, when I hit this part of Jesus's prayer, very often I have to pray a prayer of confession. I mean, the truth is, God, all too often other names dominate my day. Some other important person or a spouse or a boss or a girlfriend or boyfriend or other gods named money or health or achievement. So once more, I come to you, God, and I repent because I don't come to you in my name. I come to you in Jesus's name. In his name, I'm a child of the Father. Hallowed be the name of Jesus in my life. Well, this is just the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. The who, uh, our Father that we dearly love and who constantly delights in us. Uh, The where, uh, he's all around me, closer than the air I breathe. The what, uh, that this whole earth would come to treasure God and honor God starting with me. Now, over the next several weeks, with God's help, you and I are going to learn from this greatest prayer that was ever prayed. And if you're here each week, I believe you will learn to pray like you have never prayed before. And if that happens, if we're all praying like students of Jesus, a whole community learning to pray like the master, imagine what might happen in this church and in your life. And imagine how God will be honored by that. All right, let me pray for you now as we close. God, as we study the Lord's Prayer, your prayer, I pray that you would continue to be our teacher. Help us to, uh, to shatter all the, uh, the myths that we have about prayer and to realize that we can come to you as our Father, as our Heavenly Father who loves us, who wants us to come to you. God, help us to approach you that way. Help us to, uh, to know that you are with us, you are here, you're closer than the air that we breathe. And we can, we can have a conversation with you. And, and I got, God, I pray that we would speak to you about everything, that everything that's happening in our life as we're driving in our car, just what, what's on our mind and what's on our heart, the, the fun things that we love to do, the joy that we have, that we'll just speak to you about those things. And we'll also speak to you about our cares and our concerns. And you'll hear those and you'll respond. God, would you continue to teach us, uh, grow our hearts and our minds when it comes to uh, communication with you. Help us to do it better. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, if you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. Uh, for directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today. Uh, and we hope to see you on Sunday soon.